Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right. I got to say, just a second ago, right before we started recording, the last thing the cat said to me is, oh, that tastes like ass pain. We were mixing up a refreshing summer cocktail and uh, before we started podcasting, and because it's a warm summer night here on the uh, lake in Maine, and we haven't been to the store for a while, so my cocktail is iced tea and cherry vodka, <laughs> and I don't think it's that bad. It's not good. So I say to Kat, here, Kat, try this, and she said, that tastes like ass pain. It does. I've never tasted ass pain before. <laughs> what was the thing that we, we said the other day when we were at the grocery store about... Oh, um, there was a... I know what you're talking about. Was it hard seltzer water mixed with lemonade and iced tea? It was just seltzer water. It wasn't like boozy or anything. Oh, okay. And you said that's a... It's a sparkling Arnold Palmer, which... <laughs> Sounds like a sex act. It's true. It really it's does. It really does. Sparkling Arnold Palmer. Anyway, we've oh, been busy Lord. today. Good Lord. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get to this whole podcasting thing because um, I'm excited about the story I want to tell you. It's uh, It's dark. And it's um, foreboding. Oh, dark and foreboding. Yeah, dark Looking and... Looking forward to it. But interesting. Okay. But dark. Okay. But interesting. Okay. So it's Thursday, August 8, 2013. Brandon Lawson, uh, who was 26 years old, returned briefly to his uh, Texas home after not coming home the previous night. And his girlfriend, 
of 10 years, who is basically his common law wife uh, and mother of three of their children and stepmom to his oldest daughter, was really upset by this. Uh, he hadn't come home the night before. She and he got into a big argument and he left and never returned home. According to a phone call that he made around 1130 that night, he was planning to head to his dad's house about three hours away. Lawson was 26 years old. He worked at an oil field. His common law wife's name was Ladessa Lofton. He was a Caucasian male with brown hair, blue eyes, multiple tattoos on his arms. Uh, he had uh, his ears pierced. And at the time, he was wearing a yellow shirt, camo shorts, and white 2013 Air Max shoes. About 45 minutes after he left the home, he called his brother Kyle to tell him that he had run out of gas. He said, three exploitives are chasing me out of town. When Brandon said it was, quote, the Mexicans in the neighborhood, Kyle asked if he was tripping, if it was drugs that was causing him to hallucinate okay. or if he was really being chased. Right. Uh, Brandon denied it was in his head. He said that he was being chased. So Kyle went over to Brandon's house about a mile away, got his gas can, and headed out of town with his wife and kid. So the brothers kept making calls to one another. Brandon's calling Kyle. Kyle's calling Brandon. But Kyle said that Brandon wouldn't have a full conversation with him. He would just say a couple of sentences and then hang up. A call was made to 911 by a trucker regarding Brandon's truck. He said that it was parked crookedly in the road and was posing a hazard, that he was still over the white line and that it... So he was out into the oncoming or the, the traffic lane itself. That's not, right. Not on the side of the road. That's right. At 12.50, Brandon called 911, which at the time rang a local nursing home in a town called Robert Lee. The call is hard to understand, but listening to it, Brandon sounds distressed. And the call went something like this. Brandon said, yes, I'm in the middle of a field. Um, you can't understand what he's saying. Something about pushing cars over. On both sides, he says, the truck ran out of gas. There's a car here. Got chased through the woods. Please hurry. The 911 operator says, okay, now run, by, run that by me again. Sure, yeah. He says more things that you can't understand. We're not talking to him more things that he can't understand, and then ran into him. So the operator says, oh, you ran into them? Brandon says, just the first guy. 911 says, do you need an ambulance? And he responds, yeah, no, I need the cops. The operator says, is anyone hurt? But Brandon stops responding. Hello, hello, hello. Now, this is according to an article written by Krista Johnson. It's in the San Angelo Standard Times uh, from last year. Body cell phone service kept several calls to and from Brandon from connecting. Um, but the phone records show that at 1251, Kyle called Brandon and left a phone, uh, a voicemail. Okay. A minute later, Brandon called his girlfriend, but she didn't answer. Um, she had, they had had the fight and uh, her phone battery was low, but she didn't have a wall charger. So she plugged it into her car and went back to bed. Okay. A minute later, Kyle's wife called Brandon. Two minutes later, Kyle called Brandon. 
Three minutes later, Brandon called his neighbor. A minute later, Brandon called Kyle and then called again. A minute later, the neighbor called Brandon three times. A minute later, Kyle called Brandon. And then like five minutes later, the dispatcher at the nursing facility tried to call Brandon back to get more information about what was going on. She left a voicemail, called once more. And then at 109, Brandon called Kyle three times. None of these calls are making any sense. None of them are lasting any more than a sentence or two. Okay, so is this this is either um, interdimensional slip or UFO abduction? <laughs> That's where you're at so yeah. far. Okay, or time travel could be. So Deputy Neal arrives at Brandon's pickup just after 1 a.m. And that's right after dispatch received that call from the trucker that said that the truck was parked in the road. Right. When the deputy gets there, Neil, we'll call him, Brandon wasn't at the truck. Brandon's brother Kyle was just pulling up. At this point, it's understood that neither the deputy nor Kyle were aware that Brandon had called 911, asked for a cop, and said, please hurry. So Kyle's still pretty chill, just thinking that his brother had run out of gas, Mm -hmm. though the phone issue is kind of bothersome and weird. And it's understood that the police officer that had arrived, the deputy, uh, did not know about dispatch getting that phone call. Okay. He was responding to the uh, trucker's call. The abandoned truck. Got it. So while talking to the deputy, Kyle received a call from Brandon. Brandon's phone, again, was going in and out. It was very hard to understand. Brandon claimed that he was 10 minutes up the road. He also mentioned that he was bleeding. The phone went dead at that point. What Kyle understood was, quote, I'm in a field. Kyle thought that maybe Brandon was hiding in the field due to an outstanding warrant that he had. Oh, okay. He thought maybe that Brandon knew that the cops were coming, so he took off. So Kyle didn't mention that Brandon was the one on the phone to the deputy that was standing nearby. He was covering for his brother. Right. At 1.15, Brandon called Kyle twice. Brandon said, I can see you. I'm right here. Kyle couldn't see him anywhere nearby, though. There was a field, there was a bridge, there was no Brandon. But Brandon said, I can see you. I'm right here. I'm listening. Is he a ghost? No. He's a ghost, isn't he? (laughs) So it's 118 and Audrey, who is Kyle's wife, sent Brandon a text saying, a cop is at your truck. And it's assuming that she did that to warn him because she was thinking about that warrant that he had. Right. And saying like, hey, you know. There's a cop at your truck. So Kyle told the deputy that the pickup truck belonged to Brandon and that he was walking along the road, but his phone kept losing reception. And he didn't say, I just spoke with Brandon. He said he's nearby. He said he can see us. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Right. He said, at that time, I didn't feel like my brother was in danger. His assumption was when Brandon said that he was in the field and that he was bleeding was that when he saw the cop coming, he must have run into the field, maybe fell down, hurt his knee or whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he had a very kind of general sense of, oh, he's nearby. You know, it's he's fine. At 119, though, Kyle tried to call Brandon and he didn't answer. And at that point, every call from then on goes straight to voicemail. Okay. After Kyle and Neil finished talking... Kyle decided to drive away and park up the road a bit to see if his brother would come out once the deputy left. 
he was just going to hang out, see what happened. So he hung out for a little bit. He didn't see anything after the deputy left. So he had his kid with him still, who at this point, it's like two in the morning. His kid's hungry and tired. So he said he went back to town to get food for the kid. Um, He figured, okay, he's just out there hiding because whatever. His brother asked him earlier if he was tripping. Did he have a history of drug use? He did. Okay. And the scuttlebutt was that that's what Brandon and his lady had been fighting about. Uh, Okay. All right. And why he hadn't returned home the night before. So a couple of hours later, Kyle goes back to the pickup. It's like 5 a.m. Brandon wasn't anywhere nearby. So it's the next day. And according to the sheriff's office report, Deputy Neal checked the homes and properties of nearby people, especially those who weren't home the night before, to see if there had been any break-ins, if anything had been disturbed, uh, signs that maybe someone might have gotten water from them. Because keep in mind, they're in Texas, and he didn't find anything. Mm. Later that day, he checked the same area with a thermal imaging camera, but didn't register any heat signatures that were human-sized. All right. August 11th, Neil reported a small private search team gathered at about 8 a.m. They ended their search around noon. And the only sign of anyone being in that area was a spot under a tree where it appears that someone had sat down close to the roadway within eyesight of where Lawson's pickup had broken down. At this point, how many days had it been since his disappearance? Three days. Three days. The official missing persons report was filed on the 13th. So that's five days later. The same day, a Texas ranger came down and took a helicopter ride over that same area where Brandon's pickup truck was. It was determined that Lawson was not on the ground due to the fact there was a lot of exposed bare ground. There had been a drought recently, so there wasn't anything leafy. It was very exposed. Okay. As Brandon would have been had he been out in the desert. Neil's report concluded with his opinion that, quote, Brandon Lawson is not in Coke County, lost or hiding. In that article that I mentioned earlier that was written last year in the San Angelo Standard Times, Neil stated that after five years, not even hunters have found anything that would lead you to believe that Brandon had become lost, had perished. Nothing was discovered. Five years. Neil stated, if someone wants to be gone, they can. So it's you can kind of tell where the police are thinking that this went. If if someone wants to be gone, he said, they can. Mm. So they're probably thinking that he has uh, some issues with law enforcement in the past. He had some issues with uh, drugs. He was fighting with his common law wife. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to make himself disappear. In addition to those points and the warrant, uh, those who have followed the case also point to the fact that Brandon cashed out his 401k with Renegade Oil Services not long before he went missing. Okay. It doesn't say how much that was for, though. 
Because, I mean, I've cashed out a 401k. That doesn't mean that I have money. (laughs) And you don't do drugs. That's right. Others have stated that the concept that he staged this elaborate runaway situation is ridiculous because none of it makes sense. Mm. Why wouldn't you just leave? Why would you create a situation where you run out of gas and call the police to your situation? It doesn't make any sense. None of it makes sense. Mm. Family members also point out that the local newspapers publishing stories about this were publishing incomplete information, sometimes misleading information, um, and that the newspaper is run by the local sheriff's wife. Hmm. So there's some feeling that they were trying to direct the case away from where the, the family felt it should have been, which is that there was either foul play or that he was lost and that it was bungled. Hmm. And the motive would be that law enforcement maybe had something to do with it in some way? Maybe not had something to do with it, but didn't handle it correctly. Gotcha. There's a podcast called Crawl Space mm-hmm. that did a real in-depth look into this case, um, more than I could do and, and better than I could do. Um, if you're interested in checking that out, I would seriously suggest that, especially since very recently, Kyle, Brandon's brother, was released from jail on drug charges. And when that took place, when Kyle got out of jail... Crawl Space, the the host of Crawl Space, spoke with him and got some information that wasn't made clear, that wasn't public huh. before now. Wow. Way to go, Crawl Space. But, right? Well done. What they discovered was that Brandon's fight, as I said, was probably about drugs, and it may have been meth. Mm. Also, during this interview with Kyle, he said that he got a call from his mother to go back to Brandon and Ledessa's house because his mom said that Brandon was, quote, flipping out. When Brandon called Kyle and said that the Mexicans from the neighborhood were chasing him out of town, he had very specific details about that, that uh, two were still chasing him, but one, a state trooper had pulled over during the chase. So that's really weird hmm. and specific, and I don't know. So when Kyle and his wife arrived to where Brandon's truck was, Kyle's now saying that he was on the phone with Brandon, and a car approached the truck, and Brandon said to Kyle, one time, run. Uh Kyle confirmed that one time means the cops. So that means bolt. Okay. So Kyle said that he didn't do anything wrong so that he didn't have to run. It didn't make any sense. And Brandon says, where's your pride, motherfucker? This is just... And then hangs up on him. Wow. This this sounds more and more like some sort of drug-induced experience. Psychosis. Psychosis of some sort. And it would certainly fit within the uh, profile of methamphetamine. During this interview, when Kyle was asked if he thought that Brandon was on drugs, he says, I don't think that Brandon was on drugs. I know he was on drugs. Mm -hmm. But he also said that Brandon had never behaved like this before um, when he used any sort of drug. So he said, I don't believe that Brandon's lady had Mexicans chasing him out of town, but I also have never experienced my brother behaving this way before. Maybe he got some bad shit. And that's possible. Um, it was said that he had not used drugs for a long time and oh, that okay. this 
this fight that he had with his lady was about a quote relapse. Mm -hmm. So maybe he got something from somewhere. I don't know. Um, But it is very suspicious that if this were some sort of drug induced situation, um, that there was no trace of him that no, his body wasn't found. There was a small river nearby and some think that maybe he fell into the river trying to get away from the Mexicans that were in his head. There are a lot of theories, and I think a lot of those theories are kind of, I don't know, they feel like when people are desperate to have an answer. Yeah. You know, which of course, you know, the family is because this doesn't make any sense. Well, well I am too. I yeah. want an answer. By the end of your story, I need an answer. We don't have an answer. You must give me an answer. Unfortunately, we do not have an answer. Why Brandon's body was never found if he did perish in in the desert? Mm-hmm. Why if he were if he was trying to get away from his life and escape everything, he would create this weird situation. Um, Why his girlfriend would hire Mexicans to chase him out of town. None of it makes any sense. Well, earlier when I was, I was joking that uh, I thought it was either like an interdimensional time slip Mm -hmm. or a UFO abduction. I'm pretty sure it's a UFO abduction. Oh, that's where you're at now. Yep. I've decided that's what it is. It's a UFO abduction. That's why there was such spotty cell service. There is no cell service in space. I think that the the worst part for me is when Brandon was on the phone with Kyle and he said, I can see you. I'm right here. That reminds me of, of that movie we saw on, uh, what was it? Shutter. I am a ghost. Oh, with the woman that's in the house. Yeah. And that, yeah. 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 Where she can see what's going on, but nobody else can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I wish that I had an answer for you. Mm. I don't. It's one of those endings that's not really an ending and uh, Mm. it's super upsetting. And, you know, obviously his family is still looking for answers. The police department says that they have no leads, that there's it's a closed case. They there's nothing to be done at this point, which is super depressing. But I need answers. I know. I need answers now. Can you just make something up for me? Yes. It's it's been six years, and it turns out, uh, no, I don't have anything. I'm sorry. And now it's time for That Thing in the Middle. So in April of 2019, a man from Modesto, California, ran out of gas. He didn't have his gas can with him. So he goes to a convenience store, and he finds a milk jug. He empties out the milk jug. He fills it up with gas. Despite specific warnings against this posted on just about every gas pump ever. He trudges back to his stranded vehicle and then attempts to pour the gas into his car. But his car has a safety valve for a reason. His safety. It even has the word safety in it. So what do you do when your plastic milk jug full of gas doesn't fit into your gas nozzle? Well, you take out your lighter and you melt the end of it to create a funnel. No, you don't. Well, that went about as well as you would expect. He was badly burned and standing in melted shoes. Burning Man was badly hurt, but ultimately did survive. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. 
but what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. So our mini tour coming up in October, it's uh, Halloween week. And we were talking about this earlier. The last show we did, um, well, the only show we've done in Nashville at Zany's in February, we had people driving from great distances, including one group of people drove 13 hours from Upper Peninsula, Michigan. And they're coming back to the Zany show. They're going to make that drive again, which is amazing. But I think we... um, we have somebody that might beat their record for distance traveled. All right. So initially, Karen wrote to us and said that uh, she had introduced her friend Jimena to uh, the podcast and they had uh, been talking about it for a while. She was going through some stuff and she needed something to kind of take her mind off of things as we all do sometimes. Mm-hmm. So uh, Karen wrote to us and said, I wanted to let you know that uh, Jimena's gotten way into the podcast. Um, she's from Costa Rica and she is super excited. Uh, she told me that she has purchased her tickets for the Nashville show. <laughs> so she's coming from Costa Rica to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Can I please talk about this? And Karen was like, absolutely, you can talk about this. And then Jimena sent us a message and said, hi, my friend Karen wrote to you. Uh, You should look up how many crazy people are named Karen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We love your podcast. Hopefully we'll meet in October. Uh, She said... 
that she is a crazy duck lady as well, which uh, I love. Okay. Uh, that's that's my kind of gal. And so she sent me a bunch of pictures of her ducks and videos of her ducks, uh, which are gorgeous ducks, by the way. And she said, I know these aren't oddities, but I know how much Cat likes animals. So I do appreciate that. And I appreciate you and your sweet butts. And since you, you got VIP tickets, we will be seeing you in October. We'll be meeting you in October. Oh, duck videos. <laughs> Look at him go. He's going to wagging his tail. That makes me want to pee. He's wagging his tail. If you want to join us at any of our shows, Boston, Charlotte, or uh, Nashville, you can go to theboxofoddities.com and get them there. Okay, I mentioned that this was a, a tad uh, dark and foreboding. Bom, um, bom, bom. I was a little misleading there. It's very dark and foreboding. So on October 17th, in the year 2006, about 8.30 p.m., police received a phone call. This is in New Orleans. It was a, a disturbing call. Nolans. Nolans. Narlins. <laughs> I like how you say it like a pirate. Narlins. Narlins. <laughs> Somebody was going to their car, and it was parked on the top of a parking garage, and they found a body on top of of the parking garage. So they call the police. They made the call from the uh, Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. Sounds like his party stalled. Yeah! Because stalled, it was a parking garage. He's stalled. Like a car stalls? Yeah. So anyway, police... I put my sunglasses on and then the the who starts playing. Yeah! Oh, okay. CSI. Oh, jeez. Uh, I see what you're doing. Okay. I don't know why you always have to put the brakes on my jokes. Yeah! So police showed up, and when they got there, they found a severely mangled body. And it was clear that this guy, um, it was either a murder, a suicide, or some kind of a tragic accident, which I think pretty much runs the gamut there. Had he been dropped out of a plane? I guess he could have. They weren't sure at that point. So they searched the body for an ID, and they found in the man's uh, pocket, in the back pocket of his pants, a note. And it said, quote, This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one that I took. What? If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, and then it goes on to give description a description of how to get in and who to contact and and i guess he even included a key and it was signed zach bowen so bowen had a girlfriend Addie hall and they met they're both bartenders Mm -hmm. this again was 2006 and they worked in the french quarter bowen was pretty well liked guy pretty charming people thought he was uh he was pretty good looking um, handsome guy now, Hall, Addie Hall, his girlfriend, she was kind of an artistic type, very free-spirited and liked to uh, to party a lot. She was into writing poetry. She taught dance classes. I know this story. So they fell in love. Yep. And they fell in love during Hurricane Katrina. Well, actually, right after Hurricane Katrina, because Addie let Bowen stay at uh, at her house, her apartment, to ride the storm out. As you know, after Katrina, there was no electricity, no public services for weeks. It was just, it was a mess there. But they tended to uh, flourish in that environment. They seemed to feel very comfortable that way. 
no electricity. They, they traded drinks for food. They had no jobs, but they had no bills to worry about. And it just seemed like they were having a good time kind of an extended camping trip. Uh, they had a little hibachi. They would sit out on the sidewalk and and, and cook their food. Yeah. And people would just come by and uh, they would have a party. And I guess Addie got a bit of a reputation for uh, flashing her breasts at police officers when they went by. That was a big deal. Well, it was a rough time for a lot of people. And I don't think that boobs are going to hurt. Post-hurricane boobs, I'm in. Thumbs up. So people would wander by and uh, they would pour them drinks, mix them drinks and have them over. And it was like a big party for them. And it attracted a lot of media attention. In fact, there was an article on them in the New York Times. Mm -hmm. But of course, after a while, the power came back on and life got back to normal, more or less. Real life returned and um, it put a little bit of a strain on both of them. They, I think they would have been, it seemed as though they would have been happier if they were just able to exist like that. Yeah. Now, according to Hall's friends, she had a difficult childhood. She was molested when she was young. Because of that, she had a history of abusive relationships as an adult, which is not uncommon. She was bipolar. Many people thought she probably suffered from PTSD from, of course, you know, being molested. Sure. She was a very heavy drinker. And people said, people that knew her said she was just, she was a mean drunk. No. Now, Bowen... He dealt with his own stuff. He had served as a military police officer. He uh, did a tour of duty in Kosovo and also in Iraq. Friends said that there was one incident that happened to him that uh, he said really messed him up. He had befriended a, a girl in uh, Iraq, and uh, she and her entire family were blown to bits when the bomb went off in, in their family shop. <sighs> and so, he, you know. How does that not affect somebody? Right. How can war not affect you at all? Right. So he returned home kind of uh, depressed and suffering from PTSD. And even though he earned a NATO medal and also the presidential unit citation for his service and his commanding officer recommended that he receive an honorable discharge, he got only a general discharge, which meant that even though he got VA benefits, uh, he did not qualify for the GI Bill education benefits, mm -hmm. and, and he was bitter and pissed about that, and who could blame him? Sure. So these two troubled people connected. They were both heavy drinkers. Their relationship uh, began to deteriorate, deteriorate further when they started doing cocaine regularly. As it will. Friends said they were arguing constantly, and Bowen's friends said that uh, he complained about Hall all the time. I can't imagine that that's comfortable, and I don't know what makes someone feel like they should stay in that kind of... Mm. It's it's frustrating. Well, it's hard when you're dealing with, uh, with, with issues like that, yeah. you know, mental health issues. So on October 4th, Hall went to Addie Hall, the, his girlfriend, went to their landlord and asked to have Zach Bowen, her boyfriend, taken off the lease. He had cheated on her. I guess. And uh, so she was going to kick him out. Landlord said, no, that's that's a domestic issue. You you guys need to work that out. Go home and, and talk to your boyfriend about it. That was the last time anybody saw her. Bowen wrote an eight page confession letter inside of uh, Hall's journal that was found in the apartment. He described in graphic detail what happened next. Quote, I killed her at 1 a.m. Thursday, the 5th of October. 
I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. The next morning, he got up and he went to work, just like it was a regular day. When he got back, he moved Hall's corpse to the bathtub where he dismembered it using a hacksaw and a knife. And then he meticulously cleaned the bathroom, but he just kind of left her there. It took four days for him to decide what to do with Hall's remains. During that that four days, he just kind of went about life like it was, um, you know, normal, like everything was everything was fine. People that he hung out with during that uh, two week period between her death and his suicide said he seemed to be in pretty good spirits. He even talked about going on vacation. He said he wanted to uh, enjoy good food, good drugs and good strippers. So getting back to the note that he left in his pocket, this is what the whole thing said. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us and a full signed confession from myself. So they they get to the address, which was right above a voodoo spiritual temple. They got inside. They were not prepared for what they found even though the note prepared them yeah but how can you be you can't be you you can't you can't be it was a warm october day but they went inside it was extremely cold in the uh, in the apartment comparatively it was like 60 degrees well that's considerate my thought it was to keep things from smelling worse than they did but he had spray painted messages all over the wall really haunting things like i'm a failure and instruction to call Zach's ex-wife and tell her that he loved her. There was a spray-painted message on the wall that pointed them to to the stove. And, And on the stove, there was a pot, and in the pot was a human head. It was burned beyond recognition. Another pot, there were hands and feet. There was a large roasting pan that included arms and legs. Those were also burnt pretty badly. Investigators said there appeared to be seasoning on the limbs and on the uh, counter were cut up potatoes and carrots inside the refrigerator. There was a, like a, a big, large plastic uh, contractor type bag. Mm-hmm. And in that contained uh, her torso. So had he intended to eat her and then couldn't do it or? Well, that, that that's an unanswered question. This is an episode of unanswered questions. It yeah. appeared to be that way, but when they did the autopsy on him, there were no human remains in his digestive tract, so he did not eat her. It was thought that probably he was doing that to just try to dispose of of the body as best as he could. But then also chopped up potatoes. I don't know if he was if that was related or not. Uh, but he did apparently season the arms and legs or the some of the limbs. So maybe the thought entered his mind, but he didn't he didn't carry it out. Okay. The autopsy also revealed on Zach's body that he was covered in cigarette burns. In his uh, confession letter, he wrote that he burned himself once for every year of his life that he was a failure. He said in his confession, quote, I scarred myself not only by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years, but my entire lack of remorse. I've known forever how horrible a person I am. You can just ask anyone. So the security cameras at the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel, which is where he threw himself off of, 
captures Bowen approaching the terrace and looking over the edge several times. He finally downs a final drink and then throws himself to his death. In the notes and the paperwork that was left behind, it showed very clearly that when he strangled her, it was kind of like a... They were probably both very drunk, and I'm not excusing this, of course, Mm -hmm. but it was more of a crime of passion, and then he didn't know what to do. And after he did all of these horrible things, he realized how friggin' horrible it it was, and he just couldn't live with himself, and he, he felt the only way that he could find any peace was to lay it all out for everybody and take his own life. Now, there are those who say that it may have had something to do with the fact that uh, they were living over a voodoo temple. Of course, people will say that. I think it's probably more likely we had two very broken individuals here and and a guy who suffered from PTSD from seeing some horrible fucking things. Right. Well, can you... I mean, I can't imagine the the things that are going on in your brain that that make you jump from the things that he did to the things that he wrote, mm-hmm. to the, you know, the the conflicting emotions that were obviously happening there. Yeah. Experts in this sort of thing say that it's very uncommon for a murderer who goes to the trouble of, of cutting a body up and cooking it to not eat it. They said it's very unusual. Yeah. Like, you know, like Jeffrey Dahmer or Albert Fish, they they followed all the way through. And as you mentioned, it appeared as though maybe that was in his mind, but he did not follow through on that, which makes it all the more unusual. Also, you said that everything was burned Mm. beyond recognition, which might make you think that maybe he didn't intend on actually eating it. It was just a method of disposing of it. That's what. Yeah, that's what experts are saying is that. He thought he could just burn it all down and then maybe just get rid of the bones or something, but um, it didn't happen that way. So. Right. So there's a lady in New Orleans. Uh, her name is Mary Milan. She calls herself Mary Voodoo Queen Milan, and she leased the building on Rampart Street, which is where this all took place, and has opened up Bloody Mary Haunted Museum and Tour. And locals are not happy with this because there's a lot of exploitation there. Wait, is it of the... It's of the apartment yeah. that yeah. they were in. Yeah, you can you can go in and uh, see the actual stove and refrigerator where Hall's remains were found. Uh. Reports are that it's it's decorated like a really tacky horror film with fake blood splashed all over the walls and a bride and groom set of Chucky dolls. Are the um, the spray painted messages still up? That I don't know. That's a good question. Either it, way, it's it doesn't gross. Say. Yeah. One of the friends of the couple says it's despicable and atrociously exploitative. Now, Milan defends it, saying it educates people about the crime. Quote, it'd be stupid to pretend the couple weren't here. They're just jealous that they didn't do this first. Um, no, I don't uh, think that's it. Yeah. See, here's the thing. If you're trying to educate people... And you're making money off of that crime scene. Maybe you could take that money and do something good with it. Might help prevent this type of thing from happening again. Right. Or donate it to some um, organization. Mental health facilities for veterans. Thank you. Yes. Whatever. Victims of abuse. But if you're just pocketing dollars made from the crime scene uh, that was horrific and 
putting bride and groom Chucky dolls yeah. in there. That's just yeah. gross. Yeah. But apparently it does pretty good business, I guess, in well, a I way. Get, I mean, I, I understand be, people being curious, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I would I would go. I would be interested in going to see it. I would not go. But but not if I'm putting money in somebody's pocket as if if it was going towards something that that mm. did some good, then yeah, okay. Although it's still it's only been fifteen years or whatever, thereabouts. It's funny, isn't it? If it had happened a hundred years ago, I think we all would have been, yeah, let's go see that. But because it's happened to people who were affected that are still alive, yeah. you kind of go, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. No, I think that's a, it's a valid point. Um, I was just thinking like, okay, well, if I went somewhere and there was a tour that included, you know, a building where a victim of Jack the Ripper was right. murdered, would I want to go? And the answer is absolutely, I'd yep. want to go. Yep. Um, so it is interesting, and I think it's valid that you point that out, that it's just a matter of, you know, years. And, yep. that, and on the grand scheme of things, it's not that many years difference. It has to do with, I think, it happening in our lifetime. That 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 may be it. I think also, um, you know, I it's a lot easier for me to identify with that life and those people sure. than, you know, the the person who lived a hundred years ago. Yeah, I can, yeah, for sure. You know. Yeah, no, you see pictures of Zach and and Addie, and there were a lot of them online, mm-hmm. and they. They just look like a happy couple. Yeah. Camping out, having a good time. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I remember reading that story and um it's it's rough. Yeah, it is. It is rough. I hesitate uh because I feel like there is a certain amount of uh, I have big feelings for the both of them. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel and sympathy I, for both of them. And I hate that because yeah. he's a murderer yep. and you can't yep. you can't just murder people. No, you can't. And and especially do horrible things after the murder. That doesn't I mean, even it, well, it's bother just, me as much as like you to know. To me that's ratcheting it up to a whole different level. Sure. But at the same time, you have to factor in and recognize that this was a guy who had seen some horrible things sure. and it messed it messed him up. It's a tragedy. It really is. And not all things, not all mental illness can be can be fixed. And not all mental illness leads to Yeah. you know, this for, for sure. sure. But it just really underscores how important it is to to get help or help people get help. Right. It's always hard when we do stories like this to transition to Hey, see you later. Bye. Because <laughs> I feel like we've just come in and shit in your yard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I apologize for that. And maybe someday we'll run into each other and we'll buy you a beer. Oh, I thought you were going to say you can shit in our yard. But <laughs> well, no. Please don't. <laughs> no, I appreciate it if you didn't shit in our yard. Thank you very much. Good day, sir and or madam. <laughs> Um, Let's say something nice before we go. Once before, when we um, we had a situation like this, where it was a real bummer of a story to end with. Oh, we did the snortles. Yeah, you want to get the dogs over here? We actually got emails, people saying, "Yeah, you know, have your dog snortle at the end of a bad story. It always makes me feel better." All right, you get one, I'll get the other. <laughs> Mm 
There, now we all feel better. Pug snortles. Yeah, totally. Okay, down on the floor you go. The Box of Oddities twice a week. We'll see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.